Chapter Twenty Four of Mag and Margaret: A Story for Girls by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Exact Truth. At last arrived the eventful day in which nine young ladies, contestants for the fifty-dollar grand prize were to read their respective papers before the assembled teachers and pupils of Mrs. Garland's school. The day was given up to it, and although no visitors were admitted, the rooms and the girls themselves were in festive dress, and as much honour was bestowed upon the readers as possible. In truth, some of the scholars made so much of the matter of toilet that more than once Mrs. Garland had been known to say, with a significant smile, words something like these, my dear, I am trying to think what you will wear to honor your graduation day. Margaret Lancaster especially was splendid in ribbons and flowers. Meg Jessup, whose name was called next to hers, looked like a small brown robin beside her. Meg's neat brown dress, a trifle finer than she wore for every day, and brightened by a few scarlet ribbons, received an approving smile from Mrs. Garland. Just as the exercises were about to commence, a messenger came with a magnificent bouquet of blush roses. There was a general subdued exclamation over their beauty, and Mrs. Garland, not attempting to suppress it, smiled as she turned the card and read aloud the name. Margaret Kane Jessup, with best wishes for the day. Your friend has done what he could to make you the envy of us all, she said genially to Mag, who had come forward to receive her gift, her cheeks almost rivaling the roses. She did not need to look at the name on the card to be sure that it was Frederick Ainsworth who had been so kind. How good he was! Yes, and how naughty, I am afraid! He wanted Meg to have the flowers, and he wanted above all things to further impress his cousin Margaret with her silliness in the stand she had taken against Meg that his gift would be sure to increase the ill-feeling Margaret already had, he did not stop to consider. The midday recess had come and passed, and some of the roses were drooping, and some of the scholars were yawning wearily, before either of the Margarets were called upon. At last a general wave of renewed interest seemed to pass over the room, as Margaret Lancaster's name was heard. The sleepy girls sat more erect and with brightened faces. Margaret was sure to have something worth listening to. Her story was certainly worthy of commendation. Some of her listeners paid her the compliment of forgetting that she was reading a trial essay. They forgot all about her indeed, and gave themselves up to the enjoyment of her story. "'Wasn't that splendid?' murmured one or two of her admirers, as she took her seat. "'And so beautifully read, she ought to take the prize.' She is the best one yet, decidedly. Yes, and there are only two more. Ah, but one of them is Meg Jessup. Comments like these surged through the room during the five minutes' respite. Then came Alice Powell, whose paper was substantial and sensible. And stupid, added one of the younger girls in a semi-whisper. And the secretary called, Miss Margaret Kane Jessup. When Meg had concluded her paper, I don't think there was a dissenting opinion in the room. Even Margaret Lancaster, had she been strictly honest, would have been compelled to admit that Meg had held the interest of her audience, from almost the first moment of her reading, in an unusual manner. The truth was that Meg had been so deeply interested in her own plot as almost to forget that her effort had anything to do with a prize. 
and she read very much as she would have told a story that thrilled her. The committee of teachers retired to the library immediately after the reading of this paper, and the buzz of undertone conversation filled the room while they waited. Meg sat apart and did not attempt to talk with anyone. Now that the excitement of the reading was over, she felt tired and frightened. It seemed to her that her story was very silly, and that Mrs. Garland must be ashamed of her. She could even take no pleasure in her roses, because Mr. Frederick had made her promise to read that silly thing to him, and he would see how entirely unworthy of roses it was. She stole a glance once or twice at Margaret Lancaster, and wondered that she did not look happier. She must be almost certain of the prize. Yet her face had a look on it that made poor Mag shiver. She was talking hard and fast with two of the girls who were especially intimate with her, and much under her control. Then the committee returned. What a very few minutes they had been away! They must have known before they went out just what they would do. The room was very still, waiting for their report, and certainly there was much astonishment over it. Honorable mention was made of Miss Margaret Lancaster. Indeed, the chairman admitted that there had been some discussion over her name, but they had finally agreed unanimously to propose the names of Margaret Kane Jessup and Alice Stuart Powell. And Margaret Lancaster was actually left out. Very many were surprised over this. The younger portion of the school had not imagined that Alice Powell had any chance beside her. As for little Mag, her head seemed to be spinning about the room, and for a moment she could hardly see. Such genuine surprise took possession of her. But yesterday she had thought, what if I should really get the prize and be able to buy some books of my own? But this morning she had lost all faith in her story, and expected nothing. A very general, and on the whole, hearty clapping of hands greeted the report, but a few of the scholars did not join. At last Mrs. Garland's voice was heard in congratulation. She heartily approved of the committee's decision, and she added a few choice words of commendation for Mag's story, which set the young girl's heart to throbbing, as even the report had not done. Every girl in school appreciated commendation from Mrs. Garland. And then the school was treated to a sensation, the like of which no scholar remembered. It was Margaret Lancaster's voice, distinct and angry, that created an instant hush, while those in the back seats leaned forward to lose no syllable of what was being said. "'Mrs. Garland, some of us did not know that you allowed copious quotations, or we might have earned a little glory also.' "'Quotations?' repeated Mrs. Garland, in great surprise. "'Unacknowledged quotations, do you mean, Miss Lancaster?' "'Certainly I do.' then your remark is not understood. Since you have chosen to make it before the entire school, you may explain your meaning. I mean that Mag Jessup's story, of which you seem to think so highly, is copied from a book. Utmost excitement prevailed at once. What a shame, said one voice distinctly. I think as much, said another. I don't believe a word of it, exclaimed a third. "'Silence,' said Mrs. Garland, in a clear, cold voice. "'Young ladies, the privilege of conversing together is withdrawn. Miss Morton will be kind enough to come to the platform. Miss Lancaster and Miss Jessop, I will see you at once in my office.' 
Miss Morton, the mathematical teacher, came at once to the chair and set the school at work, though she could not have expected very clear replies to questions in mental arithmetic with the thoughts of every scholar behind those closed office doors. How shall I try to describe the feelings of little Mag Jessup as she waited with tightly clasped hands that would tremble with excitement in spite of her, while Mrs. Garland questioned her accuser? The idea that she would do such a despicable thing as steal part of her story! She, who had refused a suggestion that Mr. Duane had made, and several hints that Mr. Frederick had kindly given her, because, although they were splendid, they were not her own, and she had no right to profit by them. Mr. Frederick had argued the point with her, had assured her that she was over-particular, and that before she began to write she was quite at liberty to make use of all such general suggestions that they had nothing to do with the actual work which her paper was expected to represent. But Mag, though disliking to appear ungrateful and obstinate, had yet held steadily to her determination to take not a hint of help from anybody, and this was her reward. "'Take that chair, Miss Jessop,' commanded Mrs. Garland, not unkindly, and she pointed her pupil to an easy chair near the window. Perhaps she saw that the poor girl could hardly stand.' Then she turned to Margaret. Now, Miss Lancaster, repeat and explain your extraordinary statement, which, whatever you may mean by it, would have been very much better made to me in private. I don't see anything to explain, said Margaret sullenly. I said she stole her story that everyone is making such a fuss about, and so she did. You know that is not true, burst from poor Meg's white lips. She felt that it would be impossible to hear such words and not say so much. Then Mrs. Garland's voice. Hush, my dear, I am conducting this examination. Miss Lancaster, what reason have you for thinking so? The very best reasons in the world. Very well, state them as briefly as possible. It is all in an old book of ours. Meg started to her feet with an exclamation, then at a warning glance from Mrs. Garland sat down again and clasped her hands so tightly that the print of the nails showed for several days. "'Be explicit, Miss Lancaster. Do I understand you that a portion of Miss Jessop's paper you believe to be like something in a book of yours?' "'All of it,' said Margaret firmly. "'Every single word.' And now Meg's face, that had been crimson, began to pale. This astounding statement all but took her breath away. What could the girl mean? Was it possible that she could have written something much like what someone else wrote years ago? Did people ever do such things? If they did, and this was an instance, how could she ever make Mrs. Garland, or for that matter the Duanes or Mr. Frederick himself, believe that she had never seen nor heard of the book, and that she had thought out every word for herself? "'Oh, Mrs. Garland!' she burst forth, and Mrs. Garland lifted her hand. "'My dear, I must insist upon your allowing me to manage this whole matter in my own way. Miss Lancaster, do you realize what you are saying? Are you prepared to stand by the statement you have made, that there is a certain old book in your father's library that contains every word of Miss Jessop's paper, which she has read before the school to-day?' A look of sullen defiance overspread Margaret's face as she answered haughtily. "'I am in the habit of being believed, Mrs. Garland. That is what I said.' 
very well then you are of course ready to prove it i shall ask you to take a carriage from the stand at the corner and go at once to your home for the book returning here as quickly as possible with it miss jessup and i will wait here until you return for a single instant margaret hesitated and seemed half frightened then she said angrily i do not see the need for putting everybody to so much trouble i told you i was in the habit of being believed what i say i mean pardon me miss lancaster for reminding you that your opinion as to how i shall manage this matter has not been asked i must be allowed to do as i think best it is a very grave charge indeed against one of my pupils who is also in the habit of being believed the very least we can do when we make a charge against a person is to bring undeniable proof that we are not mistaken meg hasn't denied it mrs garland was for a moment startled by this statement it was undoubtedly true that beyond her first excited exclamation meg had been quite silent concerning the charges still that was probably because she herself had directed her to be silent but margaret's words reminded her that she had not asked her whether there was any shadow of truth in the charge against her she had taken it for granted that there was not at this point she looked toward the small brown figure sunken in the depths of her easy chair and said miss jessop i have not formally asked you if you wrote your paper without assistance or quotations i do it now as a matter of form is every sentence in your paper your own composition i-i thought so said poor mag hesitating and blushing violently certainly it was the worst answer she could have made for the moment mrs garland's perfect faith in her was staggered and margaret lancaster was triumphant there she said you see that she does not deny it she knows of course that what i am saying is true i suppose that at least you will take her word and save me from going after the old book in our attic by this time mag was crying so violently that she could not speak and mrs garland looking at her with a troubled expression such as seldom appeared on her face still spoke coldly to her other pupil miss lancaster i will try to overlook your insolence to me on the ground that you are probably very much excited you may carry out my directions at once and i will await your return or stay perhaps i should not send a young lady alone in a public carriage i will have you attended her hand was on the bell as she spoke and in another moment one of the teachers had been requested to call a carriage and accompany miss lancaster to her home on an errand and return with her there was nothing left for margaret but obedience five ten fifteen minutes passed during which mrs garland left her pupil to herself then seeing she had gained self-control she asked a single question my dear if you are willing i should like to have you tell me what your singular reply meant a few minutes ago surely you know whether your work is your own she remembered long afterward the mournful eyes that were turned toward her as mag said how can i know if she has a book that has it in somebody must have written it before i did are not such things possible mrs garland of course i believed that i was writing what no one else had ever written i thought every word of it was true but if it is in a book how can i help it and how can i make anybody but god believe that i am honest and true 
Mrs. Garland arose, came over to her pupil, and, bending down, kissed her forehead lightly as she said, I believe in you, my dear girl, and I shall continue to do so, however suspicious the plot against you may be. I shall believe that what you say about it is the exact truth. Little Meg has received many precious kisses since that hour, but perhaps none that stole into her heart with such healing balm as that. Five minutes afterward the door opened and Margaret Lancaster entered bearing in her arms a very large old book, with one cover and the fly-leaves torn away. There, she said, flinging it down on the table, you will find that I have told the exact truth. Every single word of her wonderful story is in that book. She was right. It was a copy of Webster's unabridged dictionary. End of chapter 24